Here comes Cohen. He's headed for the plate. This game is tied. Our 17th athletic director for Mississippi State University, John Cohen. Hi there. Welcome to episode four of the John Cohen podcast. I'm Neil Price. John's along too. We're glad that you're with us uh, and hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard so far. A lot of great stories with folks who have had ties to Mississippi State Athletics. And we're getting ready over the next couple of shows to transition to folks who are self-made success stories. And our guest today is a prime example of that, John. Yeah, David Abney is someone who who started from the ground floor, Neil. And as we'll hear He's a guy who was loading trucks at UPS as a teenager, and now he's the CEO in charge of 400-plus thousand employees worldwide. It, 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 you know, you're in a little bit of awe when you're speaking to someone who has that kind of responsibility and, and, and really has climbed the ladder, ladder of success, unlike, well, I, I mean, you're not very comparable to many people you've ever met. But that said, some of the other guests that we've talked to early on in this in this adventure have been similar just in the field of athletics. And I think about guys like Will Clark and Jeff Brantley, who were nice enough to sit down with you a few weeks ago. And to say that they made it to the bigs, they, they did that kind of on their own path. They had to put in the work just like David Abney's put it in over – multiple years with UPS. Yeah, and you know, when you're talking about big leaguers, you're talking about people, there's 750 of them in the, in the world right now. Um, that, that's, you know, and you have to, I think David's in a very similar situation. How, how many Fortune 500 uh, companies are there? Well, there's 500 of them. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it, it's very comparable. I, You know, it's funny about, about uh, big leaguers or CEOs. I, I compare them to astronauts. How many people have, have been accepted in the NASA program? How many people have been over outer space? And how many people have walked on the moon it, that's a little bit about you know how these people are. Some of them have actually walked on the moon in terms of their own careers, and it's it's really fun to ask about their path. What what's your experience been in terms of dealing with with coaches and other ads? Are, are there folks that kind of take that same path that they maybe uh, the guy that comes to mind who's who's not in the business anymore is Jeremy Foley. Jeremy Foley was a guy at Florida who sold tickets, uh, worked in I think maybe worked in the mailroom at one point, but literally worked his way up the ladder from the bottom up. Is that is that a common experience in the world of athletics? It's it's extremely common, and in fact, uh, my good friend Scott Strickland, uh, I, I'm reminded of Scott Strickland. I remember playing baseball at Mississippi State, and Scott Strickland was our volunteer SID. Uh, he paid nothing, volunteered his time for years and years and years to be able to to get where he is today. I think Jeremy's a great example, as you just mentioned. I think Neil Price is a great example of that. When you think about how much time he had to volunteer, in fact, he's volunteering time right now right on this podcast. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's – you know, Neil, we all get these calls. You get these calls, I get these calls about how do I get to do what you're doing. And and what most folks don't want to hear is you got to volunteer a lot of time in, in order to, to make that next step. It's got to be about passion and interest versus, you know, the money side of it, initially at least. The thing that I got tired of hearing early in my career, and I'm sure that other folks in other walks of life get tired of hearing over time, is you've got to pay your dues. And David Abney has done that. John's done that. I've done that. I'm sure wherever you're listening, you've done it, or you may be doing it right now. So listen to David Abney and be encouraged by what he has to say. A guy who literally started at the very bottom of the UPS chain and made his way all the way now to being the CEO of one of the biggest brands in the country. David Abney and John Cohen here on the John Cohen Podcast. 
David Abney, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's just a, a tremendous honor to, to, to have you on our podcast. Uh, uh, I know you're extremely busy, and I, I wanted to get right into a line of questions here that, that I find interesting. David, when we do this, these questions are more about my curiosities probably than anybody else's, but um, I, I wanted to ask you about your childhood. So you're, you're born in 1956. You're born in Greenwood, is that correct? I was. It was uh, actually 55, so uh, you're older than you thought I was, John. But, uh, <laughs> I was born in Cleveland, Mississippi, but I grew up uh, most of my childhood in uh, Greenwood, other than there was a three-year stint that we actually lived in Oxford, and uh, so I would have been the first grade, and I was probably the only Mississippi State fan in the first grade at Oxford, Mississippi, but it's because of my father, of course, and uh, but no, I spent Greenwood from 10 till probably 21, so I was there around 11 years. Well, okay, so you, you start out in 55. I'm just curious, because of your age, it's really interesting, you, you know, and, and everybody who is from the area of Mississippi that you're from, they just answer where they're from in one word, and that's the Delta, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not a city, it's just the Delta. Um, but I, I wanted to ask, the, the time that you grew up was a really turbulent era, era and you were a small child. Um, do you remember... W- w- was there anything going on in, in, in terms of the civil rights era in the Deep South that you were aware of as, as a really small child growing up in Greenwood, Mississippi? You know, there was uh, a lot going on, but being that young, uh, uh, and you didn't have, you know, all the different news things you could uh, go to, so it would have been the local paper, which was a little bit uh, slanted at the times, and uh, local television stations, and uh so no, it wasn't until much later that uh, that I realized when I was a kid, I was told uh, that it was separate but equal, and uh, and I probably believed that the first eighteen or so years of my life. But I found out later it was definitely separate, but there was nothing equal about it, and. Uh, and so now the period of time in the U.S. history that I read the most about and I'm most interested in is from the Civil War through the Civil Rights times because I'm now really getting the other side of the, of the story that I just didn't get as a, as a small kid. And uh, so it was very interesting times. Obviously, it's changed a lot, but uh, back in those days, it was clearly separate, that's for sure. I'm just curious, when you were growing up in Greenwood, you're known for your incredible work ethic. Um, how did that develop as a small child in a very rural area of Mississippi? You know, I, I really don't think that it did. Now, my father had a good work ethic, so I'll give him uh, some credit, but uh, I was one of these kids where I have a a short-term memory where I can look at things and I can memorize fairly quickly. I don't retain it, unfortunately, very long, but I can uh, memorize it. So in uh, high school and even in college, I probably could get by with giving it less than my full effort, and uh, and I got used to that. And, uh, and then when I go to work for UPS, especially after I graduated from college and then uh, drove for a year, and uh, 
But after that, I went into management, and all of a sudden, I worked for someone that uh, that I'm real close to to this day. He's been retired 20 years, but uh, he recognized something in me that I didn't see, and he just would not tolerate me coasting or doing enough to get by. And uh, so there were two or three interesting years where I thought he just picked on me and I could never satisfy him and uh, probably didn't like him too much. And uh, and then finally he was able to get to me and, and then I started holding myself more accountable than he could hold me. And then, of course, as soon as you do that, you don't worry about who you work for anymore and uh, because you're doing it for yourself. And uh, so I give him a lot of credit because I just, I just thought it was okay to do a little bit less than your best. And, and he gave me a choice one day. He told me, you, you're about to go down one or two roads. One road is the road to destruction, which is where you're going if you continue to to do what you're doing today. Or the other is the road to success. If you will listen to me and if you will do the best you can in every situation. Now, he certainly wasn't talking about what, you know, wound up happening, but he was he was the first that recognized that maybe I could do a lot more than what I realized I could do. You know, David, it's funny you're bringing this up because one of the catchphrases in the athletic industry, uh, especially in college athletics, um, is student-athlete experience, right? And, and, and what I think of when I hear student-athlete experience is exactly what you're talking about. I, I want our student-athletes to come back when they're 30 years old and say, oh, goodness, I might not have liked everything that was happening as part of my student-athlete experience, but I, now I see how valuable it was to have people pushing me in academics and on the court or on the field. And it sounds like you had a very similar experience of having a mentor who was pushing you in a certain direction. He was. In fact, John, some of your uh, listeners, and I know that some of your staff would actually know who I'm talking about. His name is Ken Nestor, and he was a long time, still is, but uh, when he lived in Mississippi, a longtime Mississippi State fan. Back when the football stadium first had suites, he took one of the of those suites, and uh, and I still see him once a year. He comes back to a game, and uh, I get to host him, and I just think the world of him. But just like your student athletes, when I was going through that three-year period of time, I did not think. This was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I thought just the opposite. and uh, But uh, I'm just eternally grateful because uh, I couldn't be where I am without him. Well, David, I, I have my notes that you started working for UPS while you were at Delta State. Is that true, or did you start in high school? I did. I was 18, and I was a freshman, and uh, it was my real first job, and uh, first real job, I should say, and uh, and it was loading uh, trucks, and uh, although that's now been 45 years ago, uh, I still remember that first day like it was yesterday. Well, was there an aha moment? I mean, when you put on the uniform and you started loading trucks, did, did you, I mean, could you have even fathomed, David, <laughs> this journey that you were going to you know, embark on the first day that you were a part of this? 
Oh, absolutely not, John. You got to remember, I was 18 years old, and I was uh, I was worried a lot more about uh, girls and having a good time, and I sure wasn't thinking about uh, anything in the future. But in that in Greenwood, uh, at least in my neighborhood, I don't even know that I would have known what a CEO was. I mean, there was just <laughs> not around where we were, and uh, and so this was really a job. To, I had a uh, a half scholarship at uh, Delta State. This this was to make sure that I could pay the other half, and uh, and so I was loading trucks from like uh, six o'clock at night to ten or eleven, and uh, and would wash the uh, what we call package cars, but you would call trucks, and uh, and that's the kind of stuff I did. So I really did start at the bottom and. Uh, and did that for over three years, and then when I uh, graduated, I I drove for a year, which was the best thing I could have ever done because when you're a package driver, you meet with hundreds of customers every day, and that's when I learned the business. So I sure couldn't uh, have the same experience if I had not driven for that year. The incredible iPhone XR and the C Spire network. More features, more coverage, more moments. Like the 6.1-inch liquid retina display for that Did you say liquid retina? moment. Or your choice of six stunning finishes for that Let me see! moment. Make your moment with the incredible iPhone XR and twice the nationwide LTE. Only at C Spire. Customer inspired. For a limited time, buy the latest iPhone. Get one on us. Details at cspire.com. Good stuff in the first half of our conversation with the CEO of UPS, David Abney, Mississippi native, who grew up in the Mississippi Delta. This is a guy who not only started on the low rung of the ladder in the company he's now the CEO of, but he came out of a place where you've got to be tough, you've got to be willing to work, and I would imagine his time in the Mississippi Delta as a small child, and not to mention all the moves that he's made, probably helped shape him as a person. Wouldn't you think so? Yeah, Neil, and I think one of the things he talked about was having a mentor who was really hard on him. You know, one of the common catchphrases now is about student-athlete experience in our industry, and, uh, you know, I I think student-athlete experience is really important, but at the same time, I I want our student-athletes to come back when they're 30 years old and say, man, that was really hard. At the time, I didn't like everything that was going on, but it helped shape who who I am, and it it helped, uh, helped me create a career for myself and help me to take care of my family. I think those things are really important. And David had that guy. He had that guy. He didn't enjoy the time he had with, with his mentor, but at the same time, it was just instrumental in, in what followed in the path of his career. You, you need someone that will be very direct with you. And I think the comment from David Abney was that his mentor said, you are at a point where you will either go down a path that will lead you to be a total failure or you'll listen to me, and you'll learn how to be a great success. And clearly, he 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 did that information. Uh, he did that, and and now he's been fantastic in the business world. Uh, again, being the CEO of one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, who was who was that mentor for you? Was there was there a moment like that for you where where you came to a point and someone was that direct and said? You can make two choices with what you want to do with your life. Well, I've had phenomenal mentors. You know, you just mentioned Jeremy Foley is one of those guys. Pat McMahon, Ron Polk. Um, 
uh, Mitch Barnhart, Scott Strickland, Greg Byrne. I mean, I've had so many of these people, but uh, I'd have to say my high school basketball coach, a guy named Scott Brenizer, is the guy who just said, you're going to do it my way. It's going to be really hard, and you're going to realize one day that you got through something that you didn't think you could go through. I think the, the, the primary form of leadership that's most critical for kids is having an adult make them do that so, something that wouldn't, they wouldn't ordinarily do on their own. And it's not always a popularity contest. It's not always a democracy. Sometimes there needs to be a dictatorship in terms of taking you to the next level. Is it, is it good sometimes, too, and this was the case with David Abney, and I ask you this now more as, as a parent than as, as a coach, is it good that that comes from someone outside the family? Because I look at the people in your family. Your, your father was a very successful man, very structured in what he did in, 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 as a lawyer and then later as a law professor. Your mother is a strong lady, but you mentioned that that influence came from outside. Sometimes is that better that you've got someone outside the family circle that gives you that? I think that's just part of the human condition, Neil. You just assume that others know more than your parents do because, you know, you take your parents for granted. But as, as the saying goes, your parents get a lot smarter as the years go on. True. And uh, certainly my father was one of those guys. I, <clears throat> my father was raised in an orphanage. My father was a World War II vet. My father um, was really somebody who believed in, in hard work and discipline. And, uh, you know, like a lot of our parents, he, he believed that the military might have been the most important thing in his life. In fact, he believed his time in the military might have saved his life. So, um, yeah, that discipline w was instilled in our household. But you know what? It, it was always taken for granted because that's just your parents speaking to you. But you're right, the outside influence is, is really important. It's worked out pretty well for John. It's worked out pretty well for David Abney, too. Let's dive back into uh, the second half of John's conversation with the CEO of UPS, David Abney, Mississippi native, here on the John Cohen Podcast. Okay, well, I have to ask you this question. I thought it was always cool, at least in recent years, especially in the deep south that your drivers and and i don't know if you know package uh, loaders could wear shorts when how did who made that decision for ups to allow those folks to be able to wear shorts because i think that's awesome oh yeah i do too and i think that happened probably 20 years or so ago and uh and i just think that uh you know times change and uh, especially in the hot weather it just made no sense but back when I was a driver. In fact, in order to be a driver, I had to move to Pascagoula, Mississippi. And uh, my wife and I had been married three months. We packed up everything we had in a Monte Carlo. And uh, and we may have had a little U-Haul trailer on the back of it. I'm not sure. But, uh, uh, but there were no shorts, even though it was very, very hot in, uh, uh, in the summer there. But... Uh, it was probably the the best year of uh, of the early part of my career, anyway. Way because I've really learned what UPS was all about. David, do you have a great story? I, I've just always wondered about this. Do you have a great story about either loading trucks or delivering, <laughs> in which something just absolutely crazy, like the mad dog chasing chasing you down, or I mean, do you have a crazy story like that? Yeah, I think uh, every driver at UPS has got one of those crazy stories. And, and our people that some of them will drive for 30 or 40 years, so they would have stories much, much bigger than mine. But for me, the one I'll never forget, so I'm 21 years old, 
it's Christmas, December, mid-December, I'm working late trying to get everything delivered, and it was uh, going to a house in uh, Ascatapa, Mississippi, and uh, and I see there's a guy in his garage. He's got the door down, so I tap on the garage. He thinks I'm his neighbor. He tells me to go around to the back. I do. I open that gate, and the biggest dog I had ever seen in my life, I think it was St. Bernard or something like that, popped up on his back feet and put one foot on each of my shoulders, his front feet, and tried to lick me in the face. And I thought it was Bigfoot or something. I had no idea what was happening. I screamed. The package went in one direction. My clipboard went in the other Guy comes running out and <laughs> realized what had happened. Fortunately, the dog just wanted love and affection, but uh, it scared the living daylights out of me. I, I can imagine. Um, David, I, I, I'm just curious because I've, I've read a lot about your bio online or what's available. Of course, I do want to say this. Your bio online says 1956. I want to make that clear. So, um, <laughs> But I wanted to ask you this. It's not clear on your bio how many different positions you have had at UPS on your journey to becoming the CEO. Yeah, you know, I get asked that a lot. And uh, it's something that I tell our young employees that one of the great things about UPS is promotion from within. And so you don't have to leave to go to other companies to get to do more. And, uh and I counted them up after I became the CEO, and I have had 20 different uh, jobs with UPS, and most all of them different. And uh, and I've got to, I've gotten to work in all parts of the world, and uh, gotten to work in all of our different businesses. And uh, so never was there one boring day. I can tell you that. And uh, but 20 different jobs over the 40. Five years. My goodness. And and as the CEO at UPS, you oversee approximately 481,000 employees. So I, I'm just curious because I manage 208 employees in our athletic department at Mississippi State. But I'm just curious that the joys, the responsibilities, the challenges of overseeing that many employees. Yeah, you know, well, first thing, I'll talk about the, the – uh, I am getting to live the American dream. I mean, to be able to to be to lead this company that I've given 45 years of my life. And by the time I got the job, I had been here 40 years. So I always jokingly tell people I was on a 40-year fast track. But uh, but you know, it's an awesome uh, opportunity, and to represent these great UPSers from all backgrounds and all walks of life. Uh, it's just something I would, uh, I just can't believe that uh, I have the privilege of doing. And uh, and the great thing about this company is even though 481,000 employees, a lot of employees, got a lot of good people all over the world that run this business. And uh, it's my job to make sure we're focused on strategy and it's my job to make sure that we're living up to our commitments. But the people that run this business are the people that are throughout the world. And just like with you in the athletic department, there's no one person that can do anything. And uh, I just have this incredible support base of UPSers that, uh, that helped me along the way. 
David, when, when you go to certain businesses, okay, I'm going to use Chick-fil-A as an example. You walk into Chick-fil-A, you, you clearly understand that there's a culture there. There's an educational component. There's a level of accountability. And I feel that way when, you, when you're dealing with UPS. Th those things are, are just a, a part of, it, it just oozes from the pores of that corporation. I'm just curious, how do you maintain that culture, the training, the education, the accountability of UPS? Yeah, well, I'm glad you've recognized that because we do think it's a very special culture. And it started with our founder, who was uh, Jim Casey, who was 19 years old, borrowed $100 and started UPS in 1907. And, uh, and he was our CEO for 55 uh, years. And he really started, we call it being brown-blooded. And, uh, and it's just you learn quick you, that you work hard, but you get taken care of. You learn the uh, uh, core values of honesty, integrity, safety, and, uh, and diversity and inclusion and, and service and those things. And, uh, and then it kind of uh, it seeps into all your pores and before you know it you're a career UPSer and uh, and that is absolutely for me the defining moment for me John I had a part-time job while I was going to school is I had a center manager that ran Greenwood so he was responsible for 15 or 20 people and when I was 19 years old he put his arm around me one night told me what a great company UPS was, what a what great uh, potential that I had, and he really thought that I need to consider a career at UPS. Now, I don't know about you, but at 19 years old, there was nobody really putting their arms around me telling me what a great person I was, maybe than my mother and father. And, uh, and from that day on, I considered myself a... Uh, a UPSer and never considered going anywhere else. So it just shows you when there's a strong culture, at the end of the day, it's people that make a difference. And uh, and I am so thankful to these people that have touched me along the way. Yeah, it seems like it's worked out okay for you, David. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about college athletics. Uh, you're a huge fan, and, and, and thank goodness you've been a Mississippi State fan for – for a long time, and uh, and you, you talked about that a little bit earlier, but but you just you love sports, and I know you've passed that on to your your kids as well. When when did that start for you? When did you become a fan? You know, my oldest memories in life are uh, are really when I was oh I would have been probably four or five, and uh, and my father would. Uh, take me to uh, Mississippi State football games, and uh, and he was a big state fan. He never went there, but he was a big fan, and uh, and so I became one, and uh, and I have been ever since. And, and even though we uh, we moved to Oxford for that three years, and uh, and we would go to the courthouse on Saturday night and listen to the Ole Miss games as they would be broadcast on the radio right there at the courthouse. We were always diehard uh, state fans, and uh, and now, as you know, my uh, my daughter's really not into sports, but my son really is. And even though he's 
never really lived in Mississippi other than the first two years of his life, and he went to school at, at USC. Uh, he says BUSC in Southern California, and uh, so he's a Trojan fan, but first and foremost, he's a Mississippi State fan, and he he comes every year from the West Coast and makes at least one or two games with me, and uh, and his son, who is seven years old, that uh, has lived his entire life in California, is uh, a diehard Mississippi State fan. So counting my father, we got four generations. Wow! So we got some Bulldog fans in Pasadena, California. Isn't that where your your son lives? That's right, and uh, just. About one mile away from the uh, Rose Bowl, and uh, and his clothing of choice is, is if he's not wearing Mississippi State uh, shirts, then he's wearing USC shirts. But I think he wears more state shirts. So he gets stopped uh, all over California, though, with Mississippi State fans. He, and when he's wearing that shirt, they always stop him and. Uh, He's as loyal a fan as anybody we have, that's for sure. David, you run a global corporation. I'm just curious. I just want to ask this question. I was just in Portland, right, with, a, with our women's basketball team, and constantly people would stop me, and they'd say, you're from Mississippi. Tell me about being in Mississippi. I'm just curious. You're, you are with corporate giants. Did, did they ever pull you aside and say, Greenwood, Mississippi, like, how did all this happen, David? Like, what? What is it like to be from that area? Because I'm assuming, I, I'm just making this assumption, uh, most of the CEOs are from larger metropolitan areas, may, maybe Ivy League schools, things of that nature. Um, uh, what do you say when they ask you that question? You know, it, it does come up. And, uh, uh, and, and you're right, there's not uh, maybe a lot of us with these big corporations, as you know, Richard Ackerson is is, is a, another one, and, and there's probably a few more that I'm not thinking about right now. But uh, but you know, it's not anything that uh, that I would ever hide. I tell people clearly I'm from Mississippi, and of course there's there's still a little bit of a stereotype that uh, that uh, because I talk a little slower maybe than from someone up in the Northeast that. Uh, that maybe we're not quite as quick or quite as this or that, but uh, but as you know, there's a lot of amazing people that have come out of Mississippi. It's just a little bit more of a secret than in some other places, and uh, so there's a lot of curiosity. And uh, the great thing about UPS, I did get to spend the first ten years of my career in Mississippi, and then they they took me out of my comfort zone and. Uh, and they moved me to Nashville, Tennessee, which Sherry was crying like a baby that we were the first <laughs> ones from our family to leave Mississippi. And uh, four years later, they transferred us from Nashville to New Jersey. I was probably the one crying at that time. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the best experience that I could have had because I learned a completely different uh, part of the world. And uh and they have moved, UPS has moved us eight times, and we benefited from all eight of those times. So I bet. Worked out well, but I'm a Mississippian, you know, for life, so that's just the way it goes. David, you've had, I say this all the time, um, you don't have a job, you're not in a career, you have to live a lifestyle as, as the CEO of UPS. But lifestyles in the corporate world don't always include 
the balance of family and, and children. Um, how, how do you balance? How have you balanced through the most stressful, difficult times of your professional career to balance the family life along with your corporate life? Well, you know, John's a good question, and uh, and I'm sure you you wind up having to do the same thing. And uh, I would love to be able to tell your listeners that I'm perfectly balanced, and uh, and you know, I'd just be misleading everyone. But I I I, I call it controlled chaos. So you know, you you I never cross over the line, get out of balance, but I never perfectly uh, balanced either. But you just have to be able to to turn it on and turning and turn it off. And, uh, and for me, the two ways that I can do that, one is I'm a runner. And, uh, and so if I can just, as soon as I get home, if I can go run, when you're trying to get that next breath, you really don't worry too much about the things you may be dealing with at work. And then the second way for me, and you know, I'm going to say this is I've got these seven incredible grandkids and, uh, and when they come around, they don't care what I do <laughs> or living. They want me to get on the floor and play with them and be Papa. And uh, and that's what I can do. If they visit the day before we have our earnings call, instead of looking for the 10th time in my earnings call material, I'm going to be playing with these kids. So I think that's the two ways that, uh, that uh, keep me balance somewhat so it works out and uh, you just know when you get uh, given one of these big responsibilities the same as what you have is uh, that sometimes you just have to make sacrifices and uh, but other times you have to make sacrifices the other way too because at the end of the day no one's really going to care how good of an athletic director you were or how good of a UPS CEO I was it's really about what did we pass on to the future generations and what difference did we make in this world? So you just have to remember that. I think it's really cool though, that you're going to have grandchildren 10, 15 years from now who are going to Google your name and they're going to say, wow, you know, this was just a guy, uh, an older guy who played on the floor with me. I, I can't believe he accomplished all those things. And I think that's remarkable. David, you, you have been such so kind to spend your valuable time with us. This has been a great experience for me personally, and we can't thank you enough for being on our podcast. Well, thank you, John. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, be a state fan for life, and I really believe that you and your staff just do an incredible job. And it is really nice being a state fan uh, at this day and time. And, I was a state fan when we didn't do so well, and and (laughs) I loved it back then. But we are living in different times now, and the success that that we're having and the success that you and your team are are doing is just incredible. So, again, thank you very much. Well, thank you for all you've done for Mississippi State, and uh, we look forward to seeing you hopefully at a baseball game soon. Right. Well, thank you. Okay, David. Thank you. Finally, a kids-free weekend. And you miss your kids. At Seaspire, we get it. That's why our network now has twice the nationwide LTE coverage. So no matter how far from home, you can always check in. Grandpa got me a double chocolate extra sugar milkshake. For that never far from home moment, the Seaspire network has you covered. Seaspire, customer inspired. 
For a limited time, buy one Galaxy S10, get one free. Details at cspar.com. Great conversation uh, with David Abney, who is the CEO of UPS, Mississippi native, uh, made his way up from those humble beginnings in the Mississippi Delta, moved all those times, climbed the ladder from loading trucks to driving them to doing just about everything anyone could do within the UPS organization, and now is the CEO of one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, quite a story, uh, quite a story. And when, when you look at how he wraps up the conversation, John, he talks about the importance of finding that balance between being driven, being successful, but making time for what matters with his family. Yeah, Neil, I've been in this, uh, I've been in intercollegiate athletics for 27 years, and I can't tell you how many families I've seen that, that have been, and I hate to say it this way, but wrecked by the career, you know, being on the road recruiting all the time, being on the road um, with teams, it, it's really it's a difficult needle to thread. And I'll tell you something, 20, 25 years ago, it wasn't cool to have your family as part of your career. You had to separate those two. I think now in 2019, it has to be part of your career because if it doesn't, um, it, it'll, it'll cause – problems not only uh, in your personal life but in, in your your career as well well and I don't know how many coaches I've been around who who have described their wives as the CEO of the family and in in most cases I think that that's very applicable because you, you've lived this while while you're on the road while you're raising a family uh, the wife is the one that typically winds up having to do a whole lot of work that that allows people like you and I to go enjoy what we really wanted to do for our careers. So you've got to find that balance in some way to make sure that they know that they're loved and appreciated. Yeah, if you're fortunate enough to find your soulmate, your partner, um, who can help you with the journey, it is so hard for both those people, especially if there's a family involved, it's so hard for both of those people to have a full-time career. Um, One person has to give in, usually. Uh, I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm I'm just saying, you know, that's the usual case. But... uh, yeah, you know, Nell has been that for us. She's been the CEO of our family, and, and she has allowed me uh, to further my career, and, and she's a big part of it, and so are my children. And I, I wish I could have that attitude earlier in my career because it's now my kids are older, they're both college graduates, but I wish I could have incorporated being uh, part more part of their lives earlier on. To go outside of the athletic world, the, the guy that I've read about and, and that I kind of listen to, to podcasts and different yeah, and, and watch things about is David Letterman. And David Letterman became a father in his very late 50s and now almost 70 years old and has said on multiple occasions that the reason he waited so long, the, maybe the biggest regret he has in life is that for the first 30, 35 years, that his career was the most important thing to the detriment of everything else. And now, later in life, he's found that balance. But again, it, it doesn't come easily for everybody. And to have a guy like David Abney, to have someone like you who's been in that world who can speak to that, I just think that it's it's amazing that you can strike that balance and that people can learn that you can have both and you can have both things well. You can in 2019, Neil, but 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, having family intervene in, in your career was a bad thing. It was a negative thing. And now it's viewed as just 
part and parcel to, to what you do and who you are. So thank goodness for progress in, in our world. But I, I've had friends who said the worst thing that ever happened to their career was either getting married or having children, you know, and you, they don't realize what they're saying at the time because there's a point in time in life where they realize if it was the best thing that ever happened to them. But when your career is number one, it, it, it takes a toll on everything else. And that's why I like David Abney and, and what he said about his grandchildren and his children, even though they're on the West Coast. Um, it, it's just fun to see them. And it's really fun to see them all gather at Mississippi State sporting events, Neil. Relationship advice with John and Neil. You didn't know you were going to get that this week. Tune in next time when we'll talk about ideal first date opportunities. Uh, seriously, uh, our, our thanks to David Abney, who was a, a terrific guest this week. Again, a wonderful story. And if you enjoyed it, what I'd like to invite you to do is uh, go to our, our iTunes page, uh, rate the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to leave us some feedback, tell us what you liked, what you didn't like. We, we'd certainly welcome that, too. And again, if uh, this is the first time, that you've listened to us we've got three other episodes that uh, you can go back and find uh, right where you found this uh, episode of the podcast check them out uh, click the subscribe button and these will be delivered to uh, your tablet to your phone to your laptop whatever device you consume podcast on each and every week all you gotta do is click that little button and uh, speaking of which Daniel's gonna click that little button that cuts us off right now so we will see you next week with another uh, self-made story uh, Greg Sankey the commissioner of the SEC is going to stop by and visit with John, and I think you're really going to enjoy what you hear there, too. So thanks for hanging out with us this week. We'll see you again real soon here on the John Thorne Podcast.